to be here this morning, and I love having all the kids here. That's going to be great. It's, it fills the place up. It's nice. It's so exciting. So as we, uh, as we get started this morning into our message, I mean, I don't know if I've told many of you, but I have a very famous cousin, and his name is Mark Johnson. Mark is a world-famous jazz bassist. Now, he doesn't play this bass. He plays the big bass. And he is amazing to see. We've, Sherry and I have been privileged to see him a couple times in person. And I have to admit that jazz is not necessarily my cup of tea as far as music goes. But to see him and his wife, Eliana, who's a famous Brazilian jazz pianist, play together, oh man, it is unbelievable. But I want to tell you a story about when Sherry and I went to go see him the second time. And we were at, up in Denver, and there's this little jazz club called Dazzle. And uh, I don't know, if, if you, you probably don't know of it, but, and it doesn't matter if you do. But when you go there and you get tickets to go to see a show, um, there's a line that you have to, or at least at the old place, they've now moved into a new one that we haven't been to. But in the old one, you'd have to, you'd have to get lined up in a row and wait until you know they open the doors to the club itself, and then you would get let in. So we were there to see my cousin and his wife play, and uh, we were really looking forward to it. And there was this lady that was standing in front of us, and she was, well, I'd like to call her snooty a little. She thought she knew everything about my cousin. And so she was telling Sherry and I all about him and how many times she's seen him and she was a big fan. I have to hand it to her. That was pretty cool to hear. But, you know, she just didn't have any interest in us. She just kept talking like, well, I know way more about all of this than you do. And whether she did or not, it doesn't matter. He was my cousin. She didn't know that. So as, uh, as we finally took our seats and we were assigned our seats, she and her husband went first, and they were right down by the stage. And so, you know, they thought they had... They were all that in a bag of chips, right? And so then we were next, and so then they took us all the way down to the front, and we sat right next to her. And she was like, wow, how do you know him? And I said, well, Mark's my cousin. And she's like, really? Wow. Well, it'll be interesting to see how he reacts after the show. So the show was on, you know, and I said, you know, look, I'll introduce you to him afterwards if he comes up and talks to me. There's no guarantee that he will, but if he does, I'll introduce you to him. And she goes, okay. So the show's over, and uh, Mark and his wife, you know, they went back. They were tired. They had to go back and deal with their band, and then, then they came out. Well, in the interim, when they left the stage, she's like, well, I guess he, you know, didn't recognize you. And they left. As soon as she left... I mean, she couldn't have been five feet out the door. Here comes Mark, <laughs> and he gives me a big hug. And I would have introduced her, but she missed her moment. And so <laughs> I tell you that story because our message this morning, Paul reminds the Galatians that they are known by God as children and heirs to the kingdom. But they are still reaching back to their past. They are missing what they could know for something that doesn't matter. They're still trying to please God with the works 
of following celebrations of feasts and rituals that really are wasted effort for them. Once again, to, to grasp the beauty of this passage that we're in this morning, of what Paul is saying here, we need to review again what Matt said last week. In verses 6 and 7, and specifically of Galatians chapter 4. So if you will, turn with your Bible to Galatians chapter 4, and let's read verses 6 and 7 together so that we can get the context of what Paul is talking about. Starting in verse 6, Paul says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into, your heart, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So it's important for us to remember that the churches in Galatia, that was an area that Paul had labored in and worked, and then a group of Judaizers came in and started to proclaim that the Galatians had to be circumcised and follow the Jewish law in order to be true Christians. Now we know that that's not true. But throughout this letter, Paul has been scolding and reminding the Galatians that Christ came to fulfill the law, and only by faith in Christ and Christ alone in His work on the cross can they be saved. The law was enslaving them and drug them down into the pit to condemn them. And now, because of Christ alone, they have been set free from being slaves to sin and slaves to the law. And Paul proclaims this great promise to them in verses 6 and 7 as a result of their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. They are now children of God with the Holy Spirit sent from God into their hearts. They can now cry out to their Father, Daddy. And even though there is a true sense of familiarity with the term Abba, it is also a return obligation to obey their Father's commands, just as any child is commanded to obey their Father. But the good news is, is they are no longer slaves to the law. Christ has broken those bonds, and they are set free. Not only free, but now they are a child of God. And with the full share of the inheritance of the kingdom of their heavenly Father, Abba. This stunning statement by Paul is one of the greatest moments in the entire book of Galatians. This transition from slave to child to err, filled with God's very own Spirit to lead them in their journey to know their Father. For us today, we, are, we were not born under the curse of the law, but we are under the curse of our sin. It is our sin that condemns us. It is our sin and our struggle against it that drags us into the pit. And it is Christ alone who pulls us out. When we repent of our sinful life that leads to death and turn to Jesus alone to save us, we too become children of God. We too can cry out to Abba, our Father, and live in obedience to Him in freedom. We too become heirs in the kingdom with a full share to enjoy. And so now Paul turns to verse 8, where our passage today begins. 
And let's read verses 8 through 11 in chapter 4 of Galatians. Paul writes, starting in verse 8, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, for the power of your word, Lord. We thank you, God, that for this message that you have this morning. I just pray, God, that you would preach it through me. Lord, that it would be your words that come out of my mouth, that I would just be a vessel for you. I pray, God, that our hearts would be open to hear what it is that you have to say, and that conviction would happen and our lives would be changed because of you and your spirit. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look through our passage today, we're going to see three points. Um, and the first one is that once you were lost, when we look at Galatians 4.8, once you were lost, Paul, as we read it again, he says, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Paul begins this section by reminding the Galatians that at one time, not long ago, they did not know God, the only true God. Instead, they were slaves to idols that are not truly God at all. They were masters of their lives, and they bowed down to them as slaves. Paul doesn't identify what gods they were. They were most likely a large variety of carved idols, statues, pagan gods, etc., that they were in bondage to and were slaves to them trying to please them with their works so they might find favor with them, that they would have a good and favored life. They were slaves to these idols because there wasn't any freedom of knowledge that anything they did pleased them. They were inanimate objects. How could they know anything? How can a block of wood know anything? There was not life in them. They are in bondage, working for something that has no life in it. It, is a, it. it itself can't do anything. There isn't any love. There isn't any answered prayer. It really doesn't make any sense at all why anyone would worship a block of wood or stone. Remember the pet rock days? Maybe some of you are too young for that, but... That was a terrible phase during a terrible time in our history. I won't bring it up anymore. I'm sorry. Isaiah, but that's how silly this is, right? Isaiah explains how stupid this really is in Isaiah 44, 18 through 19. And he explains what happens after the craftsman who makes the idol and what he does with the material and he makes the idol, what he makes the idol from. So let's start in Isaiah 44. If you're taking notes, Isaiah 44. And we'll look at verses 18 and 19. Starting in verse 18, he says, They know not, nor do they discern. For he has shut their eyes so they cannot see, and their hearts so they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, and this is what he's talking about here, is making an idol and what you do with the material, right? He says, Half of it I burned in the fire, I also baked bread on its coals. 
I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? I mean, what he's doing, what he's saying here is that this is just, this is ludicrous. This is so stupid, it just doesn't make any sense. A guy takes a two-by-four, and he cuts it in half, and part of it he burns so that he can eat, and the other part of it he worships. I don't know about you, but that just seems stupid. And yet, that's what they did. And very few of us are... Any of us at all, at least I hope not, have ever bowed down our faces in worship to a block of wood or a stone-carved idol. But many, if not all of us, have bowed down in worship to other idols in our lives. Some of these might be alcohol, marijuana, other drugs, cigarettes, vaping, sex, pornographic fantasies, sports teams, food, money, materialism, shopping on Amazon, TikTok, Video games, these are all examples of things that we can worship and make an idol from. Even if we don't realize that we're actually worshiping them. And how can I make this connection? Well, I can make this connection to the wood and the stone idols because each of these things that I mentioned by themselves, they're dead. They have no life. They're not asking to be worshipped. They cannot really give comfort. They cannot respond in love. They really can't help you. By themselves, they have no power over us unless we give it to them. Oh, and we give it to them. We pretend that they are calling us out for comfort. We say it's been a hard day, so one bowl, one joint is not going to hurt me. One more trip to that website, one more cigarette, one more drink, 15 more minutes on TikTok. All I need is one more hour playing Fortnite or Call of Duty. One more beer or one more shot. That'll get me through the day. Where is Jesus there? Do you see how they are crying out to you? to make you their master. But again, they have no power over you unless you give it to them. They are dead objects. What can dead things do? Nothing. They can do nothing. And so none of these have any power unless you give it to them. But this is what the Galatians were doing. They wanted to go back. Even though they had been freed from slavery, they are wanting to go back to the life they used to know. It is foolishness to worship a block of wood when we have the living King of Kings and Lord of Lords that we can worship. So this is what Paul is telling the churches in Galatia. He is reminding them of where they came from to contrast where they are now heirs of the kingdom of God that they are no longer enslaved to worship these dead things. And now as children of the King of Kings, they worship a living, resurrected Christ. Hallelujah! Our God reigns. He is alive. The tomb is empty. Next week we're going to celebrate that on Resurrection Sunday with baptism and sermons about the greatness of Christ. Do we really believe that makes a difference 
in our life? See, now you belong to Him if you've given your life to Him. And this does not lead to oppressive slavery, but a freedom to live in obedience that we can rejoice in, even in the hardest of days. Now let's turn to our second point, which is, now that you are found, why do you want to go back? Now that you are found, why do you want to go back? Galatians verses 4, verses 9 and 10. Paul writes, But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. Paul starts in verse 9 here, reminding the Galatians that they were once lost, but now they know God. In fact, the reality is, is God now knows them. So what is Paul saying here? Paul is acknowledging a couple of important things. One is that we can know God, but we cannot know everything about God. When the ladies were studying 1 John, John makes it perfectly clear that we can know God. He says it over and over and over again. But we also know that God is infinite. And we shall not, never know everything about Him even when we get to heaven. Jeremiah writes this in chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, he says this, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, God of course, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. We boast in the fact that we know God. That is what the change is for us when we are transformed from slaves to sin to freedom in Christ. We get the opportunity to know God. He tells us all about Him in His book. If we just read this thing, we will know Him. And we will know Him better than you can even imagine. When we talk to Him in prayer, we know Him. We have a God. We can call Him Abba, Father. And we can know Him. Romans 11, 33-36, Paul writes, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments, and how inscrutable His ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been His counselor, or who has been given a gift to Him, that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. God, even as much as we can know him, we cannot know everything about him. And that is the exciting part about being a believer in Christ. 
about believing in God, about giving your life to Him, is that we have a God that we cannot know everything about. For the rest of our days, for eternity with Him, we will be learning about Him. The idea that when we get to heaven and we'll know everything that there is to know about God, well, we shouldn't want that. Because let's see, your first day in heaven, you get up there and God opens your mind and you know everything that there is to know about everything, but you still have the rest of eternity to live. That's kind of boring to me. I mean, I know it isn't going to be boring up there, but the reason why it's not going to be boring is because we're going to be learning about Him forever. There is so much about Him to learn. There's no end to Him. And this is the God who transforms us, and He knows us. So what is it that Paul means when he switches over to the fact that, that not only do we know God, but God knows us? God is the Creator. In Psalm 139, David makes it abundantly clear that God knows everything about us. He knows when we sit. He knows when we stand. He knows every word that we speak before it rolls off our tongue. He knit us in our mother's womb. Verse 1 of 139 says, O Lord, You have searched me and known me. God knows you because He created you. And He created you with His purpose in mind. You are His. He chose you from the beginning, since before the beginning of the world. God loves you dearly. Our Abba Father knows you better than you know yourself. And since God knows you and He knows your sins and He knows everything good and bad about you, yet He still chose you to be His child. How amazing is that? But this is only open to those who, give, who have given their life, their faith, and their trust in Christ Jesus alone. That you have stopped working and you realize that when Jesus went to the cross and shed His blood for you, that that is how you are to be saved. By putting your faith and trust in the One who was innocent, who became sin for us, who knew no sin. He took the punishment that we deserve upon Himself so that we might live. And He loves you. And He knows you. And when you put your faith and your trust in Him, you become His child and a full heir in His kingdom. Why in the world would you want to turn back to the slavery of sin? And yet the Galatians were doing just that. They were listening to the Judaizers and putting restrictions on themselves by following the Jewish law and first and foremost, by becoming circumcised. This is what Paul has been talking about since we started studying the book of Galatians. And as we've learned previously from Paul, if you observe one part of the law, you have to follow all of the law. They were missing the point that Jesus is enough. That He is sufficient for salvation. Nothing else is needed. They kept listening to these false teachers who were trying to convince them that Jesus wasn't enough. Remember what Paul wrote in Galatians 2.21. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died 
for no purpose. And we know that that is impossible because that would say a lot of things about a God that we wouldn't want to follow. But instead, we know that God or Christ actually did die for a purpose. We just talked about that. So why in the world would anyone turn from that and go back to their previous life? They went back to observing special days and months and years. And Paul didn't mention uh, what these things were that they were celebrating. But with the, influences, the influence of the Judaizers, we can say that it, it probably had to do with the special feasts and the, the year of Jubilee and such things in the part of the law that, that Jesus came to fulfill. Again, they were trusting rituals to find favor with God instead of accepting the favor they already had by putting their faith and trust in Christ's work on the cross and His resurrection alone. Now Israel, we know, has a history of wanting to return to slavery. They, they have a history of wanting to do this very thing. When we read the Old Testament, the nation of Israel wavered and wished they were back as slaves to the Egyptians in Egypt. We can read this in Exodus chapter 14, starting in verse 10. So it's Exodus 14, verse 10, and as they left Egypt and were backed up against the Red Sea, they were telling Moses, we want to go back to what we knew. The Jews wanted to go back to what was familiar, even though it was slavery, instead of trusting that God knew them and had their best interest at heart and trust Him as they go into, into the unfamiliar, which is freedom. Even when it looked like it was the end and they were at the end of the road at the back of the Red Sea, they didn't trust God that He would get them across even though He said He would. So the question is for us, will we live in Christ alone and live in our newfound freedom from our past sin and our past idols and trust the Lord with the unfamiliar journey ahead of us or turn back to what is familiar to us even if it is harmful and takes us away from our Lord and returns us back to being slaves to our past. Is Jesus enough for you? For me, he better be, because he is. John Stott says it this way: What Christian life is not, what Christian life is not, is a bondage to the law, as if our salvation hung in the balance and depended, depended on our meticulous and slavish obedience to the letter of the law. As it is, our salvation rests upon the finished work of Christ. His sin-bearing, curse-bearing death embraced by faith. Christ is enough. We have talked about these verses in Philippians before, but it's worth repeating. Philippians 3, 12-16. Paul writes this in Philippians 3, 12-16. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Do you see what Paul is saying? If we were to read on, which for the sake of time, I'm not going to read that. I'm going to leave that for you. But he is talking about straining forward, pressing on to the mark, which is Christ. 
We press forward. We do not live in the past. The past is the past. Christ killed the past. We live forward in freedom to live for Him in new life. Why would we ever want to turn back? It makes no sense. Paul even admits that he is not perfect at it yet. But he implores us to press forward. And he says that this is the mark of a mature Christian. So if we want to be a mature Christian in our faith, then we must press forward and leave the past behind. Freedom to live is Christ ahead. Do you understand? Freedom to live is Christ ahead. Slavery is back there. Press forward. And as we turn to verse 11, our last verse this morning, we can see that Paul's possible frustration with the Galatians. He has been repeating himself over and over regarding the need to put their faith in Jesus alone and not in their works. Which brings us to our third point. Do you not understand what I've been saying to you? Do you not get it? Galatians 4.11. The 4.11, if you will. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Let me ask you, have you ever felt like you've been working with the same folks really hard to understand something? You've been teaching them how to do something and they just don't seem to get it. Now, if you're a parent, you understand what I'm talking about. Um, and it doesn't change when they get older either, I'm just going to say. My, it didn't change for my dad with me when I got older, so it, why would it change? You repeat yourself time and time again, and then when you ask them to tell you what you just said, they either give you a blank stare, or they repeat the same wrong response that they did before. And it, it gets frustrating, doesn't it? It's frustrating. And this is what's happened to Paul. As he continually preaches the truth in Christ and true freedom to live far from sin's slavery by pressing forward, the Galatians seem to be preferring to be slaves of their sins and the law than to be children of the Most High God. In the CSB, I like this translation of this verse. It says, I am fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. Paul is fearful for them. He knows that they are headed to hardship in a life that doesn't fulfill the calling that God has for them. They keep pounding their heads to become slaves to the law and the teaching of these false teachers, these Judaizers who are leading them astray. There are times, I admit, when I talk to people who are struggling with their sin and their preferred life of slavery to an idol than to accept the gift of grace and the freedom it brings in Christ. It is really hard. I have to tell you, that is probably the... I mean, there are some hard things about being a pastor or being in ministry. You don't have to be a pastor to have this conversation. There are some really hard things. But what is really hard is when somebody is standing right next to you or sitting right next to you and they just don't get it. 
It seems so easy to me on this side of the cross now. I don't live in its shadows anymore, but I live in its life-giving light. And I don't understand how anyone would prefer to live a life seeking pleasure or salvation in anything besides Jesus. Because I know they won't find it anywhere else. There is no other salvation but in Jesus. It is hard for me to not get frustrated and I hurt for them because there's no other way. His sacrifice on the cross, the shedding of His blood that led to His death, and then His life-giving resurrection is the gift that God gave us that produces freedom from darkness and allows us to live in the light of His grace. All the Lord requires of us, and it seems so simple once you've done it, is to accept this gift of salvation through His grace by placing our faith in Christ. Jesus Christ alone as our Savior and Lord. Why is that so difficult? When you do so, then we are adopted children of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And then we receive a full share as heirs to His kingdom. You get a full share in the heir of the kingdom of the Creator of the heaven and the earth. Everything that has been made, He made. He owns everything. You don't own anything. And you get a full share in that. It's not like He splits it out over 8 billion pieces and you get this part. You get all of it. We all get all of it. Why would we not want that? I don't want our church to be a church that lives in the past. We must press forward toward the mark of what's ahead. We must keep focused on being obedient to Jesus' call for us as a body of believers. Jesus is enough for us. He is enough because He is the only one who can save us from ourselves. He loved us so much that He gave Himself up for us. He has called His church to share this good news with others in the community to bring light and hope into the darkest of places. Let us learn from the churches in Galatia and not live trying to earn our salvation in, in, and spend our energy trying to get our salvation in other things than Christ alone. But let us spend our energy taking this good news and sharing it with our community and inviting people to come to church to hear the Word of God and see their lives changed. Let them become full heirs, children of God, forgiven of their sins, turning from their idols. This is what God's call is for us as a body of believers, as a community here at Calvary La Junta. And let us individually live our lives with joy, knowing that we have been adopted as children of our wonderful Abba, our Father in heaven. Let us live in the reality that we have a full inheritance of the kingdom. An inheritance that we didn't buy. It was just given to us by our Lord, by His death and His resurrection. Ephesians 
2, 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for today. We thank you, God, for this powerful word that you've given us from the book of Galatians, Lord. Let us not be a church that frustrates Paul, but let us be a church, Lord, that lives in the freedom of being a child of yours, Lord. Being a person or a church that has a full inheritance in your kingdom. And let us be so overjoyed with that that it bursts out of our hearts and out of our mouths to all of those who are lost that are around us, Lord. Especially as we look to this week, Holy Week, and we know that people expect to be invited to church on Easter. Let us invite people and fill this place with people who desperately need to hear this good news, Lord. Let us hurt for the lost. Let us pray for the lost. Let us love the lost. But above all, let us live in joy and freedom, knowing that we belong to you because of what you did for us and nothing that we did earned our favor with you. For by grace we have been saved, Lord. And I thank you for that. And Lord, if there is someone here this morning who does not know you as Lord and Savior, I pray, God, that today would be the day that your Spirit would open their hearts and they would come to you, Lord, in faith, in faith alone, to accept Christ alone as their Lord and Savior. Let them repent of their sins and turn from them and turn to you, Lord. I praise you and thank you for this is your day today, Lord. This is your message. This is your hope. Let us live in it. In Jesus' name, amen.